Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Okay, wow. Hello, good morning. Um, thank you, Pastor Matt. Thank you so much for uh, the introduction. And I just got to say that I am <laughs> so happy to be here this morning. I just feel blessed to have an opportunity to share with all of you um, what God has really been teaching me uh, these last couple months. And and like Pastor Matt said, um, my name's Ben. I work on staff over at SBCA. And this is my home church. This is the church that has really helped, radically helped Jesus really form a connection with me and radically changed my life. And and, and this is the church that, that I really feel like Jesus saved me in. And so I just... I got to say, we are so lucky. We are so, not lucky. You know what? We are blessed. We're not lucky. We are blessed. We are blessed that God has given us a building and a church and a community that truly cares, loves, and is chasing after God. And in the same vein, I am so blessed to have Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb here as our pastors. And, and I'm so thankful for everything that you've done in my life, in, the, in the, the church, in the Stevens Point community, and just in the kingdom. So yeah, if we could just give it up for Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb. Thank you. Thank you so much. As for me, uh, this is, um, I've been away in Madison for the summer, and so this is my first Sunday back. Um, after a couple months away, and it is, the presence of God is so palpable here, and I just feel it in a way that I just don't feel it anywhere else. This is, this is, this really is my home. It it really is my home church, and I'm excited that I get an opportunity to, to share with all of you today in this place that is so special to me, And, and I have the distinct privilege of being able to talk about love this morning, and, and as most of you know, that we have been covering a series called Core Values, um, which is a collection of principles or tenets that, that we believe here at Refuge that, that, that build up our core belief, what we are chasing after. Um, and so the first week we started off with this idea that we are people who cannot be broken. And then we moved on to we are a family that will always forgive. We're peacemakers in a world at war, a body that when damaged will heal, a safe place for poor and for rich, a haven for those that are tired, A friend who will never grow weary, enablers for those who seek truth, a journey that never grows old, and then today, the 10th week, is my week, and I get to share with you about how we are servants who love without an agenda. And so before I get ahead of myself, because I'm definitely someone that just wants to talk, 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 and and, and give you all this information, because there's lots of good stuff that we're going to unpack today, I'd like to just take a moment to pause and just really invite the Holy Spirit in in a moment of, of prayer and reflection. So um, if you'll join me there, um, we come together as, as, as one spirit, God. So, um, dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. Um, we thank you for, for the blessings that you've given us, God. We thank you that you are simply a good father, that you are simply good. And, and if nothing else, we can rest in that, that you are good and you're loving. And I, I just pray that you would allow all of us, um, me and, and the congregation, to just come together and be of accord in one mind and in one spirit. And that really your words and your message can be spoken today, God. And I just pray that you would not allow anyone that entered this building to leave the same. And uh, we thank you that you are about to radically show up and that you are going to be present in this building and all of our lives, God. And I pray that you would just work your way into our hearts and really just 
just just pinpoint the areas in our life that we need to work on or the, the, the moments in this message that, that all of us, including me, need to hear, God. We thank you for your simple gospel, for who you are, for sending your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the concept of loving without an agenda is one that is very personal to me. Because I'm just going to let you into my world a little bit. When I was growing up, something that I really struggled with was, was, was the idea of love, feeling loved. I, I, I remember um, not really feeling like I had that unconditional love in my life. And, 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 and that's not speaking about me or even other people. It's just the way I was feeling in the moments when I was growing up was that I didn't have people in my life that really loved me. And, th- and that's a way that the, the enemy really blinded me to the truth of the matter, but that's how I felt is that there weren't a lot of people that were there to unconditionally love me. And I felt like I was constantly in this, 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 this second-place mentality where, where, where I was pretty good, but I was never good enough for first place, where, where things that had, that had happened to me in my life or, or things that I had done had, had always left me lacking. And when people looked at me, they would see someone that was fine but was not going to be someone's first choice. It was not going to be somebody's uh, object that they would want to love. Um, and I remember just going through my life and searching, searching for that passionate, unconditional love and f- looking in all the wrong places and all the worldly, fleshly places to find that love. And I just couldn't find it anywhere. And then I'm so thankful that three years ago I stepped into Refuge Church and there was an evening where God just met me where I was at and showed me that I was truly loved, that I was truly worthy, that I was truly special, highly blessed, highly favored, and that God showed up and changed my life forever. And that is why I'm so passionate about this subject of love, because I understand that all it takes is a moment. All it takes is one expression of love to change people's lives forever. And so then we are looking at the ways we can love other people, when we can look at the world and just send the biblical supernatural love on unbelievers and believers alike. I want you to not underestimate the power that your love has has in the world. Because when you love people unconditionally, when we are capable of loving others and people see that, their lives can be changed forever. And it just takes an instant. It just takes a moment. It just takes one, one tiny little crack to form. And the love just worms its way in there for people's hearts and lives to be changed forever. So I just encourage you to just stay passionate and excited about this topic because love is so, 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 so important. In fact, if I was going to give you a summary of the New Testament, I would leave it at simply love. Love God, love others. There's lots of other stuff in there, but if I could just summarize, in fact, if I could just summarize the entire Bible, love God and love others, it's as simple as that. In fact, Matthew 22, 34 through 40, that's going to be my first scripture of today, I will say that. When people asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Then I always learned with all your strength as well. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law. All the prophets, all the information that you've gotten out of the Bible, all the information that you've gotten from the Father, all can be boiled down to this idea that we need to radically love God. And I say radically because it is radical to love with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. And it is not something you can just 
choose to do on a whim. It's something that you need to wholly give your entire life over to in order to seek after this. It is a radical moment that we're radically loving our Lord and we are radically loving others around me. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 actually says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Without love, without understanding the importance of love in our lives, we will never, ever, ever achieve what God is calling us to achieve. In fact, it's like... It's like you're building a skyscraper, and, and you're looking at the skyscraper, and maybe the first floor is, I'm really nailing my prayer life, and the second floor is, my thought life is really doing well, third floor, I'm serving, fourth floor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the base, the foundation of the building is love. And so if we're not figuring out how to love other people, everything else you're doing in your life is for naught, because love is the base and the foundation of what God is calling us to do. And I'm starting this way because I want you to understand that it is so important, it is so important to know that love is the answer. And so, so when I ask myself the question, why is it so important? Why is it so important that we love? The question might seem really simple, but I think it's because of the simplicity, the, the easy nature of, of uh, the seemingly easy nature of this question that oftentimes we get, we get lost and, and we, we, we truly don't understand what that answer is. Like we have, we have the head knowledge, but we don't have the heart knowledge. So I just want to start here and say 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. So once again, it, it, it seems so simple, right? We love because he first loved us. But if we unpack that a little bit, I, I promise you, the love of Christ is anything but simple. And it is, it is profound and supernatural and otherworldly. And I think it's important to unpack this statement. We love because he first loved us. And this means two things. Not only we love other people because, it is, <laughs> because God has loved us. So in response to that, so like if I give Sam a present, odds are at some point Sam's going to find a time to give me a present back because I've gifted him something and he's going to want to give that in return. So, so that's the first part. But the second part is also this. We love because he first loved us. He first loved us, which equipped us with the capability of being able to love in the supernatural way. So we, we look at that, and that's where I think it really gets profound, is, is we are... We are capable of love because the king of kings has has loved us first because he laid and created the earth with a foundation of love and so we look at that and we understand that we are capable of love that is over and beyond anything that we possibly could have imagined because we look at Christ's love and we understand that it is just fundamentally different it is fundamentally different Christ came to this earth, and he laid down his life for your friends and for, for his friends and for his enemies, for people that he knew would eventually love him, and for people he knew to their dying day would not seek after a relationship with him. He died for everyone. But also this, he didn't just die, 
he died and, and, and took on something that none of us have ever experienced, which is a complete and total separation from the Father. And so we look at that, and, and I think sometimes we get caught up and we don't really understand it. And it's impossible for us to understand because we, since the moment that we were born to the day we die, are going to be intimately connected with the Father because, because God's DNA is, is in everything. God has created everything on this planet. God has, has, in the solar system, in the universe, all of us. And so we are intimately made by the maker of the universe. And so to be cut off from that, to, to, to lose our sense of Christ, to, not, to no longer have any awareness of the Father is something that we couldn't possibly grasp. But it's something we need to, under, we need to understand that this is what God did. God sent his son and Jesus more intimately connected to the Father than any of us said, I will take the burden of, uh, that no other man in history should ever have to take, and I, will, uh, and I will separate myself from the Father out of my love for us. Pure separation. And that's why this is so important, is because, because, because God has, has taken on himself, taken it on himself to, to conquer death and to really take on that, 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 that moment of... Uh, of weakness and, and separation from the Father. So that's why it is so frustrating when I look at this idea of love and I think we have lost it. Or we, we have lost it. It is too, is too simple, right? So this is what I look at even the word for love, right? In the English language, we, we use the word love constantly, right? I love my family. I really love chocolate cake. I love the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> and I love Jesus. Right? So, so the, the question is, why do why, we use these words for all of these, right? Like we're using the, these words for I love Jesus and then I love chocolate cake. We have one word. And I feel like that has lessened the impact that the word love has on our lives. Right? I mean, even if you look at, 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 at the Greek, right? The Greek have four major categories for love and a ton of subcategories. They, they have agape, which is like a noble or high-minded love, or eros, which is like an erotic love, or philia, which is like a friendship love, or a storge, which is like a natural love, right? So these, when the Bible was written, they had all these different words, right? They had all these different ways to communicate the idea. And then we, as a culture in the West, with our English language, and have simplified it down to just this word love. And so, so when we have a single word, when we have one word and we repeat it, and we repeat it over and over again. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but if you repeat a word over and over and over again, eventually it starts to lose its meaning, right? If I say the word homework, or homework, 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 eventually it's like, it's like you're all, your tongue gets tied up, and you're like, well, what is this? I, I, I experienced this, um, I got a tattoo, and I went and I had uh, the words I wanted up there on the screen, and I was looking for what font I wanted. Eventually, I saw these words repeated so often that I was like, is, is, did I even spell the word highly right? Like, like is that even correct anymore? And I, I, I promise you that I checked my phone like four times literally to spell a five-letter word. I went, six letters, sorry. Um, I, I checked my phone so many times because it was repeated over and over again. And eventually, I'm like, is this even correct? If you do things too often, you, you forget their meaning. If you watch the sun 
sunset every evening, it just eventually becomes just another 6 p.m. If you make the same mistake over and over again, you stop looking at it like it's a mistake. And if you just wake up every day over and over again with no understanding of why you're doing it, you will forget the reason that God has placed you on this planet. We cannot forget the importance of love. We cannot just go through our day repeating, 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 and forgetting the foundation that God has set. James 1, 23 through 24 says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. If we look at the Bible and think, okay, love, right? Love. The Bible says love a lot. In fact, I looked it up. The Bible, the NIV says love 551 times, which is more times than it even says the word Christ. The Bible repeats the word love, and it repeats it so often. But eventually, we look at the Bible, which is, which is filled with this idea of love, and then we walk away, and then we forget what it means. But the Bible also says that we need to meditate on the word day and night, because we are the salt and the light of this earth. And so if we are not constantly putting on our armor and preparing ourselves and, and, and meditating on the word, I promise you that you're going to forget what this means. And so I would just challenge you to, to think about that. What parts in your life have you forgotten? What, what parts in your life do you have the head knowledge, but you lack the heart knowledge that ultimately makes it foundational in your life? And so as we move forward, I want to take a little bit of time to unpack what does biblical love even look like, okay? I hope we're on the same page right now that biblical love is important. Biblical love is important, but that's all well and good. We still need to understand what that means. What is biblical love? So um, following Pastor Matt's theme of doing a four-point sermon here, I'm going to do a four-point recognition of what biblical love even looks like. So I am going to cover the four points. I'm going to tell you them all right at the beginning, like I'm writing a college essay, and then we're going to go through one by one. Okay, so four things that biblical love looks like, okay? Biblical love is supernatural. Biblical love is circular. I promise we'll unpack that. Um, biblical love is action-based, and biblical love is ongoing. It is continuous. Okay, so we're going to start with the most fundamental tenet, which is that biblical love is supernatural. Biblical love is otherworldly. 1 John 4.8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love, the maker of the universe, the Father of of each and every one of us that knew us before we were an atom in our mother's wombs, that knew us before we were created or even thought about, is love, pure and unadulterated love. It's not superficial. It is above and beyond anything that we're capable of. And so what you need to understand when we look at the idea of love and say it's supernatural is we as men and women, as believers in God or non-believers of God, we are flesh-based We are, by our very nature, we're born into the world and eventually we will die, right? We are not born gods or angels or infinite, but it is through God's love that he has given us the supernatural ability to love. And so a lot of times we think, I... (laughs) I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own. Like, I got, I got love on lock, right? But, but, but the, the, the reality is that 
It's not true. Love is supernatural. Biblical love. I'll say that. Biblical love is supernatural. The love that we're, we're supposed to strive for is supernatural. So you need to rely on the Father in order to truly achieve the love that he has called you to achieve, okay? Supernatural, okay? We, got, we, we went through that pretty fast, right? Okay, we'll move on to circular, right? Love is supernatural, and love is circular. So let's unpack that. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And once again, we are talking about a a supernatural biblical love here, right? Not the fleshly, um, finite love that oftentimes we see in the world today, right? So, lost my place. I'm going to find it again, though. Circular. (laughs) Amen. Okay. Dear, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So what do I mean when I say that love is circular? Okay, so I'm gonna, uh, I'll paint a, a picture for you that hopefully you'll understand. If, if let's say God is right over here, okay, and God, from the beginning of time, has, has founded the world on love, okay? So God loves And God loves me over here, right? So I experience the love of God. I experience the love of God, and and, and it radically changed my life, okay? And so because I experienced the love of God, because I said then our first and greatest commandment is to love God and love others, I send love back to God, but I also send love out to others. So if I look at Pastor Matt, and I love on Pastor Matt, radically, supernaturally, biblically, that should in theory, point back to the maker, right? Oftentimes we think, well, I'm going to love on Sam, and he's going to see that I'm loving on him, and he's going to look back at me. But true love, true supernatural and biblical love is always going to point the people you're loving at back at the Father. So if the, the Father loves me, and I love on Sam, then Sam's eyes aren't pointed back at me, they're pointed back at the Father. And that's why we get a repeat, repeat, around and around and around, right? And so Sam's love points back at the Father, and then he starts to experience the love from the Maker. And then Sam starts to love on Cole, and Cole starts to experience, right? And so, so it, it, it just keeps going around and around and around in circles if we're doing things properly. But oftentimes we forget. We forget, like I said earlier, that love is this greatest commandment. And so instead of thinking about love in a circular fashion, we then start seeing love as linear, right? It goes back from God to me, me to God. God to me, me to God. So if you're missing the point, we're missing the point if we're not loving other people because the point is to form a big circle, right? We're getting everyone parts, right? We're rocking in threes, okay? God, me, and everyone else, okay? <laughs> You feel me. Okay, so, so, so the love is supernatural. Love is circular. Love is action-based. So 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, and that, that's all of us, no matter what your age is, uh, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is defined primarily through what we do, through our actions. We've all heard the phrase, talk is cheap, right? Like, don't talk the talk if you can't walk the walk. And that that is true in love more than it's true any other place. It really doesn't matter if you feel like, you know, if I feel like, oh, yeah, I love Cole. I'm good. 
right? If I'm not doing anything about it, then I don't really love him, right? The Bible says that, that faith without works is dead, okay? And the greatest work that God has called us to do is love, right? So, so, so the hard truth to understand is that if the Father has loved us and the Father has called us to love others, and the Bible also says that faith without works is dead, if you are not loving other people radically, if you are not searching out times that you can love others, then you are not, by definition, a Christian, by definition, you are not seeking after the Father if you are ignoring other people and not loving. And that's why it's so important. I keep repeating that. It's so important. I want to, you know, drum that into your head. It's important, it's important, it's important, okay? The most famous verse in the Bible, I think, and I've got it memorized. I want to brag. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave. The very first action, the very first action was taken. Okay, God loved, so he gave. It was action-based. It didn't say God so loved the world that he watched us and talked to us. Right? Because then we can't have true relationship with God. It was only after he gave something only after he took action, that we were capable of having true relationship with God. Love is proven through action. Our outward actions are directly tied to our inward thoughts. So if you are feeling like you need to love on other people, if you are seeing someone and feeling, man, I love you, right? Voice your thoughts. Voice it. Take action. Because something that just sits inside your brain ultimately does nothing to edify other people. And that's what we're trying to accomplish, right? We're trying to give it out to the world because God didn't love us, so we just feel loved and we can, you know, come to church and dance and sing and be like, yes, Father, like, I'm really into it, right? But no, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the love the Father has given to us and spit it back out in the world. So love is supernatural, circular, action-based, and number four is ongoing, continuous. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4 says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. I'm going to read that again. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So yes, love is an action, but it's not a singular action. You can't just do one act of love and think, well, that person feels loved by me. I can move on to the next person, right? No, love is, is constantly evolving. Love it has to be constant because, because there's going to come to a point is if I am in relationship with someone else and eventually I stop seeding into that relationship that no longer becomes a rela- that no longer is a relationship, that, that, that's nothing. Right? That's why it's so important that we get in our words and we pray to the, to the Father because if you're not continuing, if you're not ongoing with your relationship, with your love, then ultimately your relationships will crumble and everything is for naught, right? So this is a, a couple months ago, I, I found this video that really spoke truth and life into me um, and I want to share with you guys is, I want you to imagine, okay, I'll use, uh, I'll use myself as an example. Um, a couple months ago, I was here in Stevens Point, so I guess more, around February, so more than a couple months, but February. And um, I remember coming to a point where God really convicted me and said, 
you're not living a healthy lifestyle, right? You're not taking care of your body. You're not, you know, exercising. You're not consuming the foods that, that I have for you. And, and I've given you your body as a vessel to, to do my work. So why aren't you taking care of it? And so I felt really convicted that way. And so I completely changed my diet, my exercise routine, my lifestyle there, because I knew that the Father wanted me to make those changes, okay? And so I made those changes, and let's say I went to the gym, okay? I went to the gym, and I came back that evening, and I looked in the mirror, and what did I see? Same thing, same thing. I did not see results. And I went the second day, and I came home, and I looked in the mirror, and what did I see? Same thing, right? And I went for a week, and what did I see? Same thing, okay? If, okay, if Pastor Matt loves Pastor Deb, and I know he loves Pastor Deb, correct? (laughs) Okay, so Pastor Matt loves Pastor Deb, right? But if I ask him to prove it to me, if I say prove it to me, what metric can you show that says you love Pastor Matt? He can't just show me a number on a chart that says, well, this proves that I love Pastor Deb, right? It was a series of actions over a long period of time that ultimately led to the relationship that we see here today, right? So Pastor Matt or any of us, when we're looking at what we want to achieve, when we're looking at this this idea of love, we can't be results based, right? If I was results based when I was trying to lose weight, I would have given up after the first day because I looked in the mirror and I did not see results. But we have to understand that we need to trust the process, right? Shout out to the 76ers. We trust the process. So results will come. Results will come in time, but not in our timing, right? Which is why it's so important to trust that when we love other people, that the outcome isn't what we're looking for. We're just looking that God has called us to love other people because ultimately you might never see fruit from that love. So if we're trusting the outcome, then we'll never be satisfied and eventually we'll give up. But if we trust the process and understand that results will come, that eventually, I promise you eventually, that if you're loving on other people in your life, if you're loving on the unsaved, if you're loving on the unbelievers, I promise you that eventually, if you are radical, and you are consistent, and you understand what biblical love is, I promise you, you will make a difference. I promise you, and we can rest in the truth that we will make a difference if we are seeking after what God wants us to do with love. But we will never make a true difference if all we care about is the final final answer or the final outcome. Love is selfless. It is other focused. And so when we focus on the other, we stop caring so much about the outcome for ourselves. Now, love does give us positive things, right? Like the more I love people, the more I feel, you know, God being happy with what I'm doing. I, I, I grow the relationship with God. I build up my treasure in heaven. I develop personal relationships when I love. But ultimately, love is other-focused. And that's why when we, look at, uh, when we look at we are servants who love without an agenda, that's why we start off with we are servants. We are servants. And so I don't often love throwing in definitions to 
stuff, but I, I, I looked up the definition of service, and there were two definitions, and, and the first one was kind of like, meh, right? Uh, the first one was an act of helpful activity, help and aid, which, whatever. That, that's pretty, right, that's pretty easy to understand, right? But the second one was more profound, okay? And, and so the second one was service as a noun, which is the supplying or supplier of utilities or commodities as water, electricity, or gas required or demanded by the public. So I'm going to repeat that again, but I'm going to to switch around some words. The supplying or supplier of utilities or commodities, such as unnatural, biblical, unrelenting love, required or demanded by the public. Love is demanded by the public. Every person on this planet, their souls are crying out to be loved by the Father. It is not a want. It is a fundamental need, like water, shelter, clothing, food. It is a need. Love is a need. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. And in this nation especially, we were, called, we were given the gift of freedom. But we do not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but we use it to serve and love one another, right? But through love, serve one another. We will be recognized by our fruits. We serve. We are given the opportunity. God has given us the opportunity to serve and set an example. So when we're looking at that, serving the public, meeting their requirement, meeting their demand... To meet their demand, we need to understand what their demand is. Right? We need to understand both the needs and the expectations. And love is not about giving what you think someone else should want. Right? Love is about giving what other people need. So I like the example of if I was going to try to serve or love on my parents who are in the back row. It's nice to have you guys here. And... Um, they needed their lawn mode, and I showed up at their house, and I washed their windows. I did not accomplish what they wanted me to do. And I'm not saying don't wash your parents' windows. You know, do it today. Go home. Okay, no, but I'm not saying that that isn't a good thing, right, to serve on other people. But ultimately, what they needed was me to mow their lawn, and I didn't meet their need because I wasn't aware, and I didn't stay aware of what they actually wanted to happen, okay? We don't get to choose what other people need, even if you feel like it's a good thing. That's why we are aware of what other people want. That's what, that's what like, the idea of love language is all about, right? If, if Miranda um, needs words of affirmation, <laughs> um, if Miranda needs words of affirmation, and all I ever, <laughs> all I ever try to do is, is acts of service for her, she, she, she'd be like, cool, I guess, thanks. But like what I need, like how I need to feel loved is, is through words of affirmation. We need to understand that, that other people have different ways to receive love and we need to be aware of that. And obviously, obviously it takes humility to receive love. And not everyone in your life is going to just receive everything you do. Right, that, that, that's true. And, and, and oftentimes people in this world aren't going to receive. They're not. But that doesn't give us permission to stop trying. That doesn't give us permission to just say, well, they're not receiving my love. No, we need to be unrelenting. We need to be ongoing, continuous. We are searching for ways that we can love other people. Because Romans 13.10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. 
Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It points us to the neighbor immediately. Love does no harm to a neighbor. So the inverse of that is love is giving to the neighbor. Love is helping the neighbor. Love is other-focused because it is not individualistic. So if those of you that know me know that I love movies. I love movies. I can't get enough of movies. I watch a lot of movies. And I, and I wasn't planning on putting some movie talk in this sermon but then I watched some movies over the summer, and I wanted to put some movie talk in here. So, um, so I, I watched a movie called The Farewell this summer. And it was a good movie. Um, and it was, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis and then tell you why I'm bringing it up. So it was about a, a first-generation um, immigrant family from China um, and their daughter who found out that their grandmother had cancer. But their grandmother didn't know that she had cancer. And so they, as a collective family, decided it would be best not to tell the grandmother that she had cancer. They decided not to tell her because they would rather spend the last couple weeks, the doctor said it was inoperable, they'd rather spend the last couple weeks in joy and family and relationship than sadness. Okay, and I'm not here to judge Yes or no, if that's the right decision or the wrong decision. But what was so profound is they went over and there was this struggle, right? The daughter was struggling. She said, I feel like we need to tell this person. And, and, the, and the father came to her and said, and said, in the East, a person's life is part of the whole. It is not individualistic. And, and, and what that spoke to me is, is whether you would agree with the decision or not, what they were focused on was the collective, right? They were looking at the big picture. Now, individually, you might say, yeah, this person deserves to know. And, that, and that's probably true, right? But they were looking at it as a whole. And I think in the West, and in America specifically, we've become so individualistic. When we become looking at ourselves, and, and even times where it's just like, I've heard before, like, you can't tell me, like, how I'm supposed to love. And that's true. But ultimately, love is other-focused. And so if, you're, if other people aren't experiencing your love, then you're not loving properly. And so especially when we're looking at a biblical culture, where they were very whole-based, right? That's why we see so many lineages. They were, they were family-focused. They weren't individual-focused. And so a person's life is part of the whole. Is we need to stop focusing on what can I get out of this? And rather look at how can I most impact everyone, most impact the world. And that leads us, I promise I'm wrapping up here soon, but that leads us to our last part, which is we are servants who love without an agenda. And here is, is, is a, pivotal, a pivotal moment. What does it mean to not have an agenda when we love? What does it mean to not have an agenda. And fundamentally, it means loving without expectation. Loving without expecting to receive something back. Right? And obviously, there are relationships where there has to be a give and take. But when we're talking about specifically about us trying to love on the world and trying to bring people into the kingdom. We understand that we're not doing it because these other people are going to love back on me. They're not going to give something back to me. So I like the example of when you have a baby, that baby comes into the world and they don't immediately start 
a job or, or giving you something back, right? You are feeding them. You are changing them. You are, do, you are the baby's entire world. But that, you, you still radically love that baby even though they don't offer anything to you. They're not giving something back in these moments. And that's the same way we love the world. We don't care. We don't care that they're not giving anything back because we see the rich future that other people have. We see the future of the people of this world and what can happen if a movement of God takes over. And too often, I think we get caught up in this idea, you know, we get caught up in this idea of we want people to be following God before they know God. We want people to start following God before they know God. Because the world doesn't look like us, and they shouldn't. If we look like the world, we're doing things wrong. If we look like the world, we are doing things wrong. The world shouldn't look like us. So we need to stop looking at the world and judging them based on the way we, based on the standards we hold ourselves to, and rather look at them and say, I'm going to love on you radically. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter. Because why would you, why would the world not act the way that they're acting? They don't know God. They don't know Jesus. So we don't expect them to follow Jesus before they know Jesus. I don't care who you are or what you've done. Everyone deserves to know God. And, and that's why we don't go up to people that are like, let's say you know someone who's out drinking. I don't go up to them and say, why are you drinking? You know, drinking's bad for you. No, I go up to them and say, you know, you are radically loved, right? You are loved. And then I let, I let God do the rest, right? God is ultimately changing. You and I don't have the power to change someone's heart. It is the Father that has the power to change someone's heart. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. The Bible is specifically saying that when we were children, we made mistakes. Mistakes happened. But sometimes I think we hold new Christians to a lower standard than we hold non-believers to. Not, when, when you encounter God, your life is going to be changed, but you have to encounter God first. So we need to throw out this idea of what you think people should look like. And that's, that's what we need to do if we're going to love on people properly because you can't love on people properly if you're judging what they are trying to accomplish or what they are doing. The Bible does say that we are in the world and not of it. But too often, I think we get hung up on this second idea that we're not of it. That's true. We are not of this world. We are children of God. But we are in the world. And the world has a set of parameters. And the world has a way that things work. And we cannot forget that we are trying to accomplish things within the world. In a perfect world, everyone's acting the way they should. But that's not the world we live in. Love without an agenda means not loving with ulterior motives not being self-serving or using others or manipulating others to do what you want them to do. And even loving people just because you feel like you can convert them. Oftentimes I feel like we get stuck in this mindset, like I'm loving on other people so they come to church. And, and there's truth to that. But if your first and foremost reason to love others isn't because God called you to, if it's because you want to get them to church, then, then you're never going to love them radically enough to get them to church. 
we want to understand our godly intent. We want to have godly intent when we have interaction with other people. But we do not want to be out of touch. And so how does that relate to our lives? Are we out of touch? Do we understand what the world needs? Are we looking at other people and not saying what we think they need, but what they actually need? And when I look at this church, not this church specifically, but when I look at the American church, what we are known for is devastating. Because we want to be known as people that love. People that have a foundation of love. We want people to look at us first. And so when I look in the world, it saddens me that the first thing people think of when they think of Christians is staunch political positions or just making statements about, you know, like we go on like, like Christian social media or, or anything. And, and what we see is, is what? A lot of anti-abortion stuff, a lot of anti-gay marriage stuff, a lot of this kind of stuff. And I'm not telling you that it's not important to have beliefs and opinions. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have strong voices and look at the Bible for biblical and fundamental truths. But what I'm telling you is that when the world looks at us and what they see first is anti-other people, if what they see first is we don't want you to live your life and they don't see a loving community, then we are failing to do our job. We are failing to do our job because when we are accomplishing what we're supposed to accomplish, I promise that gay people will come, that trans people will come, that atheists will come, that all sorts of people will come, but they will not come. I promise you they will not come if we are digging our heels in and saying, this is what I believe, get on board or get out. Okay, we want them in because we cannot radically change people's hearts. The Lord can radically change people's hearts. The Lord can change the way people look at this, at, 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 at everything. The Lord can do amazing things. But we are called first and foremost to love and get people in the door and get people in conversation. How can you possibly radically love on someone that you feel like is doing the wrong thing if you do not have relationship with that person? And how can you achieve relationship with that person if all you care about is saying you are wrong, you are wrong, you are wrong? Okay? Love trumps all things. And I <laughs> do say that understanding the political contradiction. <laughs> do people look at us first? Because if we're doing our jobs, people should look at us first. And the way we get them to do that is we radically meet them at a heart-to-heart -heart level. And I'm going to wrap up with a, with, with a quick story, and, and the worship team can come on up. Um, the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible, okay? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? And, and he heard that Jesus was coming to town, and so he climbed up in the sycamore tree to see what he could see. He climbed up in a tree to see Jesus, okay? And Jesus was walking past, and he looks over, and he sees Zacchaeus in this tree, and a little background is Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he was not loved by the other people. He was doing a lot of bad things. But the Lord looked at him and said, Tonight, I'm coming to your house. 
He didn't say, tonight, I'm going to tell you all the things that you did wrong and why you should follow me. He showed up at a heart-to-heart level. Jesus is all about conviction, not condemnation. Because condemnation is word-based, is I'm telling you that you're doing something wrong, but conviction is action-based. I want people to look at my life, to look at all our lives and say, there is something more. There is something more in these people. Because when Jesus showed up, he didn't show up to make a political statement. He showed up to impact at a heart-to-heart level. And 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I urge you today to just not forget what we're supposed to do, not forget what love means, and not ignore what God has called us to do and, and, and break out of, uh, of any apathetic or lukewarm attitude that we might have. God is love. And we are servants designed to love without an agenda. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just radically loving us over and abundantly. Thank you for the gifts you've given us. And I pray today just for a reminder in all our hearts of what you've done for us. I pray that we don't get caught up in, in, in dwelling on things that are negative or dwelling on, on, on things that we've been fighting through, but rather we get caught up looking at you, God, and looking at your word and prayer. We thank you that we are a people that can love radically. We thank you for the gift that you've given us, that our love is capable of changing the world. We thank you for your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge. Thank you.